Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. That's good, brother. Thank you. Romans 9, 10, and 11. Three things that you have to ask yourself in your relationship to God. You must know these three things. Number one, who is God? Amen? Amen. Can you imagine that there are people today who do not know that Jesus is God? And there are cults today that teach that He is not God, that He was just a man. So you have to, and I have to, get the answer as to who is God and who is He? Jesus. How many of y'all believe that Jesus is God? Would you lift your hand? Jesus is God. You have to answer that question. Who is God? False gods throughout the world. Who is God? Number one. Number two. Who am I? Number three. Who is Israel? You have to know who is Israel. Because if you don't know who, is, who Israel is, then you will say that the church is Israel and has replaced Israel. And you get into a false doctrine called replacement theology. That's very dangerous. The, those three questions have to be answered. Who is God? Who are you? Who is Israel? Necessity. Okay? Romans chapter 9 is going to answer the question as to who is Israel. And what is their current situation? They have been rejected of God as a nation. Okay? As a nation, flesh Israel. Flesh Israel has been rejected of God. It has fallen into disfavor with the Lord. These people were God's chosen elect People, a chosen elect nation. But when the Messiah came, Israel, God's chosen elect, rejected the Messiah. Do you understand? As a nation. And because of that, as a nation, flesh Israel has been set aside temporarily. Temporarily and partially. Partially and temporarily. Do you understand these things? As a nation. Because of their rejection of the Messiah. And so when we get to chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul is going to address national Israel. What is their present situation? What is their condition right now? What is their future? Because they have a future. These chapters are some of the most important chapters in the book of Romans. And they are the most challenging chapters in the book of Romans. Okay? Praise God. So I'm asking you before I start preaching this that you will pray for me. Because I spent hours and hours and hours in all three of these chapters trying to get a, a true understanding of them. There's a lot of false teaching. A lot of people try to teach the church has replaced Israel out of these chapters. We have got to know the truth on this, okay? 
So we put a lot of time in this. And I'm trusting that the same God who anointed Paul and gave him this word and gave him this revelation, the same God that anointed Paul with this revelation will give me the ability to explain the revelation to you. So I'm depending on the Holy Ghost today, not just my intellect. So would you pray for me right now? Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you are not through with the nation of Israel. God, we trust you today, Lord, that you are going to save them. We thank you today, Lord, that you have saved us. Members of nations, God, who have come into your kingdom. Gentiles who have come into the church. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Help me to enter into the passion that Paul has. The passion of the Spirit in this message today. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. I'm not going to make you stand because I've got a lot to look at today. But in Romans chapter 9, look at this. Romans chapter 1 through 8, Paul has established salvation, righteousness, right relationship with God. And the way that happens is we are justified through faith. Through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are not justified by the works of the law, which means legalism, which is us trying to be good by keeping the law, being good enough to be saved by keeping the law. That's legalism. All right? So Paul has established that we're justified or right with God based on what God has done. What Jesus has done. What God has done through Jesus. Amen? Now after he gets through in Romans chapter 8, he talks about walking in the Spirit. When he gets through with Romans chapter 8, he is rejoicing. He is full. He's anointed. He is rejoicing in the Spirit of God and salvation and the power that the Spirit gives you over the sin nature, over death. Amen. Over condemnation. But then he gets to chapter 9. And he starts crying. He cries and he cries and he cries. He continually cries. He doesn't stop crying until he gets to the end of chapter 11. And the reason for his, his sorrow, his burden, and his continual weeping is because of Israel's rejection of the Messiah. Israel's rejection of Jesus. And because of that, they're temporarily and partially set aside by God. The very people, the elect of God, the very people of God who should have been the ones who ushered in the Messiah who ushered in the truth and preached to the world that Jesus was that Messiah. They are the ones, His own church, if you will. His own called out group of people. They were the ones who rejected Him and missed Him as a nation. Not as individuals, but as a nation. You with me here? So Paul says in chapter 9 verse 1, he says, I say the truth in Christ. Paul is in Christ. He is a born-again Jew. He is not anti-Semitic. He is not anti-Jewish. He does not teach that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. He is a Jewish believer. He is in Christ. And the problem is that Israel as a nation rejected Christ. So they're not in Christ. Therefore, Israel as a nation is lost. Yeah. 
And because of that, Paul is, is full of compassion and passion. And he's weeping. And he says, I say the truth in Christ. He says, I lie not. You know, some people say, well, if you say I'm not lying or I'm trying to be honest with you, that that means you're lying. You ever heard that? That, it, you know, that, that's what they'll teach you these days. That if, Don't ever say, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. Don't ever say, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. People will tell you that. You understand? Because they say, if you say you're not lying, then you are. And they say, if you say, I'm trying to be honest with you, that that means that you haven't been honest in everything else that you've told them. That's a bunch of hogwash. I, I have never in my life heard so much insanity. Men's philosophy, you know. Come on. If I stand up and tell you that I'm telling you the truth and I'm not lying to you, that's the truth. All right? If I stand up and I tell you I'm trying to be honest with you, that's exactly the truth. That doesn't mean everything I've told you before was a lie. Now that might be the way the world does things. They're just completely upside down. They're flip-flopped, you know. But that's the world. But that's not the church. So Paul, full of passion... Full of crying. He says, I say the truth in Christ. He said, I'm not lying. I lie not. I'm not going to tell you these things so that I can get on Israel's good side. I'm not trying to speak this message to flatter somebody into the faith. He said, what I'm telling you in Christ is the truth. It is God's truth. I lie not, he says, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is letting me know that what I'm going to say is the truth. It's inspired by God. But at the same time, my conscience is witnessing. My, my conscience is telling me this is the truth. Do you understand? It's not a lie. He says this. What is he talking about? That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Can you imagine that? This great apostle, Romans chapter 8, rejoicing the power of the Spirit. When he starts preaching about Israel, he says, Every day, all day, continually, I am full of sorrow. I am crying. Tears running down his face, full of passion. It's not just a doctrine to him. It's a passion. It's not just some sermon to him. It is a passion. It is causing him grief constantly. Day and night. He can't escape it. When he talks about continual. It's something that he cannot escape. He lives in perpetual sorrow and pain and weeping over the fact that Israel has rejected their Messiah. And that Israel as a nation is lost. He loves Israel. He's a Jew himself from the tribe of Benjamin. He's an Israelite. He loves his people. He loves his nation. He loves his country. And they have rejected their Savior. And this grips him 
full of sorrow and burden, the Bible says. He says, I'm not lying. He said, I'm telling you the truth. I'm constantly grieved over this. Amen. Amen. And I can understand that a little bit because when you get in the church and you walk with God and you look at the church world as a whole, the church world as a whole will call you, cause you to be full of grief and sorrow and pain because so many in the church today have rejected the Word of God and they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They have a form, but that's all they got. And that will cause you, I'm, and I'm not talking about just the church out there, I'm talking about the church in here at times, will cause you to enter into a place of sorrow and grief, of continual, are you here with me? Because of the condition of men. But in, in his case, it has to do with the nation of Israel. Now look at the passion that this man has. He says, not only is he continually full of heaviness over Israel, he says also that, that he has a continual sorrow in his heart. He said this, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He says, flesh Israel has caused me continual grief. Flesh Israel has caused me to wish that I would be accursed from Christ. Do you understand the depth of his love? The depth of his passion here? When he says that if it were possible that he would be willing to be accursed from Christ, if it would mean that the nation of Israel would be saved, he is literally telling you, he said, I'm willing to be anathema. I'm willing to be cursed. Not just willing to die, but willing to be separated from Christ forever. He is saying, I'm willing to go to the lake of fire. If it would mean that Israel would be saved. He is willing to, to take that step and pay that price. And it's not just uh, words. And it's not just hot air. And it's not just a figure of speech to him. He means what he's saying. He said, I'm willing to be cut off. I'm willing to be cast into the lake of fire. Eternally separated from Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. If it would mean that Israel could be saved by that kind of sacrifice. That's somebody that's real. This is a real apostle. Somebody who is full of, of sorrow and pain. And somebody... To him it's not just a position. It's not just a sermon. He is, he is full of passion and compassion to the point that he's not just willing to die for them. He is willing to be lost for them. There are very few people that are like Paul in that kind of passion. Moses in the Old Testament was similar to Paul. There came a time when God said he's going to kill every one of them. God said I'm going to kill the whole nation. And Moses said. Brought my name out then God. Cut me off. Take my name out of the Lamb's book of life. You'll talk about cutting edge. 
Moses got to a place. He was willing to be cut off. If God was going to wipe all the nation of Israel out. And Paul has that same kind of spirit that Moses had. That if it could possibly mean that Israel could be saved. He would be willing. I'm talking about an apostle. He is willing to give up everything. Give up eternal life. And burn in the lake of fire forever. If it would mean that Israel could be saved. That's where he is. I'm telling you that's an amazing, amazing heart. And compassion and passion for God and for his nation. He is anything but anti-Semitic. He is anything but anti-Jew. He is anything but replacement theology. He has a desire for the nation of Israel to be saved. How many of you would be willing to die and go to hell for somebody else? If it meant that they would be saved. If you not just didn't just die, but you died and you made a contract with God, I'm going to hell. How many of you have that kind of passion and that kind of love for people and for the gospel? That's where Paul was. And he says, I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. He said, my conscience bears witness with the Holy Ghost that what I'm telling you is the absolute truth. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to sound good. I'm not trying to be, you know, to exaggerate the facts. He said, this is exactly how I feel if it would make a difference. No wonder this man was such a powerful soul winner. I don't know anybody that, that was like Paul. I know the apostles were awesome. The other apostles other than Jesus Christ. I know nobody that's like Paul. That has the kind of passion to save the lost. The kind of passion to be a soul winner. The kind of passion to see people come into the kingdom of God. That's a passion. He's not just willing to give a little bit of his time to teach a Bible study. He's not just willing to give a little bit of his time to stand up in the pulpit and preach. This man is willing to die if it means somebody could go to heaven. He's willing to go to hell if somebody else would go to heaven if he did go to hell. And I'm telling you that for me and the church that I pastor, if we had just a small part of the kind of passion that Paul had, to win the lost we would win Odessa Texas we, are you here today and I understand there would be some people who would not believe are you with me today but I'm telling you at least we have the passion to try to win them hallelujah and that's where Paul was here just, just to get a glimpse of, of where this man's spirit was just to taste that kind of spirit is an amazing thing That tells me he was a man who had a passion for God and he had a passion for his people. Nobody, not just anybody, is willing to go to hell for somebody else. Forever. Not just die and go to hell one day, but die and go to hell, the lake of fire forever, and then be separated from the Lord that he loves.
to be anathema, to be accursed, to be cut off by God. Come on, church. We, I, you know, I need, we need to pray as a church, and I need to pray as a pastor that, that what we have is not just, you know, a, a kind of a casual thing that is a secondary thing in my life. You know, the kingdom of God and God and, and winning souls should be my life. I should have a passion. And this man definitely had a passion. Notice what he says. He said he'd be willing to if for my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh, flesh Israel. He says this. Who are Israelites? And the sad part about it is his flesh brethren were persecuting him. The unbelieving leadership in Israel chased Paul down from city to city, even when he went to preach to the Gentiles, seeking to persecute him. But yet he still has a desire for them to be saved and still has a passion. He said, I'll go to hell. If it means they can be saved. A people who are persecuting him. Do you understand? Israel is in his heart. Flesh Israel. He says this. Who are Israelites? That's my kinsmen. That's my brethren according to the flesh. He said, they're Israelites. Israelites. Who are the Israelites? Well, we've got to determine that today. We've got to know who the Israelites are. How many of y'all believe that there is a nation called Israel? How many of you believe the church has replaced Israel? Who are Israelites? Well, he's going to explain all of the advantage of the Israelites. That they're God's people. He set them aside. God have mercy. He said they, to the Israelites, who are these Israelites? Well, number one, if you're an Israelite, then you are God's chosen people. You are God's elect people. You are the ones that God has selected. Chosen. Elected. To be his peculiar people in the earth. A nation set apart unto himself. An elected people. A selected people. Israelites. Okay. Israelites. To be an Israelite. Not only are you God's select people. His elect. Come on. But you are a part of a. If you were in the Old Testament. It's been repudiated now because of their unbelief. But when God first selected and elected Israel, He made them His own peculiar people, His own peculiar treasure. And He set them in a theocracy. They were the only people in the world that were in a theocracy. They were the only nation in the world that was specifically set up by God. They were in a theocracy. In the Greek, theocracy means the power of God. They were in the power of God. They were the only ones that could say that God 
himself was their sovereign. That to say Israel is to say that God had a covenant people that he reigned over. That they were in a theocracy. They could say that God was their sovereign. That God was their king. And no nation in the world could say that but Israel. They're the only ones that had that kind of relationship with God. The power of God. The King. God Himself is their sovereign. God Himself is their King. That's Israel, Paul says. He says, he goes on, now we're talking about Israel according to the flesh. He says, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption. Here's a privilege that the nation of Israel had, that no other nations had. They were adopted by God as a nation. When he brought them out of Egypt, he called them his son. Not only are they in a theocracy with God as their sovereign and their king, but they are adopted. They are sons. They're not just servants in a kingdom. They are adopted as his sons as a nation. This is a national adoption, not just an individual adoption. God adopted them as sons, as a nation. And when he brought them out of Egypt, he called them his son. Not children. When you adopt somebody, you place somebody who's adopted in full status of sonship. Not a child. He didn't look at them as just a child. He looked at them as full grown sons. He adopted them as a nation. He said, I'm their father and they're my sons. No other nation in the world had that kind of, 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 of No, no, Nobody could say that they were sons and heirs of God himself. Nobody. He goes on and he says another thing. He says they had the glory. They had the glory. I mean they, they walked. They, they saw the visible presence of God Almighty. They were unique in all the earth. The Spirit of God Himself led them in a visible form. It's the glory cloud. The rabbis called it the Shekinah. It's the Shekinah. It's the glory cloud. It's the visible presence of God. They had the visible presence of the invisible God in their midst. They could look up at that cloud and they would say, that is our king. That is our God right there. That's the visible presence of the invisible God. This is luminous. He illuminates. He radiates. This is his glory. And they had that in their midst, the visible presence of God. In James, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the visible manifestation. He's called the Lord of glory. Jesus is called the Lord of glory. So now Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. He is the Lord of glory. The Shekinah glory is in Him and He visibly walks as the Lord of glory. 
and they had that awesome relationship with God God would manifest himself where they could see his manifestation the glory cloud what an awesome privilege it would be to have the glory cloud when you walked into service today and if you were to look up on this platform and on this platform there was a pillar like a mushroom type thing pillar of cloud that filled this place here and you could say that is God himself that is the presence of the Lord look at him lumin look look at the illuminating God look at the illuminating God look at his radiance and his glory they had that visible manifestation of God and then he goes on and he says this he says they also had the covenants. God didn't make his covenants with the Gentiles, with the nations. He, I know there are eight covenants, but he's talking about primary five covenants that relate to the nation of Israel. Are you here today? Eight covenants. You've got the covenant with Adam. You've got the, come on somebody. You've got the covenant of Eden, the Garden of Eden. You've got the covenant, covenant of Adam, and you've got the covenant with Noah. But then you have five other covenants that are specifically given to a nation. Five other covenants. One of them is called the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham. The father of the nation of Israel. Do you understand? The covenant that God made with Abraham was a covenant of grace. It was a covenant of grace. It promised the Messiah. It promised the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It promised the kingdom age. It promised the new heavens and the new earth. It was a covenant of grace that God made with Abraham. When Abraham was a Gentile. When Abraham was a pagan. When Abraham was in Babylon. God called him out of Uruk, the Chaldees. Abraham, before he was a Hebrew, he was a Gentile. He was an Iraqi. But God said, I'm going to call you out, Abraham, by grace. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. And it's a covenant of grace. It's a promise of the Messiah. It is a promise you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. It is a promise of the kingdom age. It is a promise of the new heavens and the new earth, Abraham. I'm going to do all of this. And in your seed, Abraham, all the nations, all the Gentiles of the earth shall be blessed because the promise is Jesus. And all the nations are going to be blessed because out of your loins is going to come the Messiah. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. Go out and look at the sand of the sea. It's without number. You can't number it. Go look out there. He said, I'm going to make your descendants that large. Go out and look at the stars. Look into the heavens and see if you can count the stars. He said, that's the way I'm going to make your seed as the stars of the heavens. You're going to have a fleshly Israel that is so large in number. But what is important is the heavenly Israel, the spiritual Israel of God. That will come out of your loins. So he had a covenant that God made with Abraham. Then God made another covenant with them. Are you here today? He made a covenant with them concerning land. He promised them a land. He said, I'm going to give you, Abraham, this land. Come on, somebody. 
the promised land is God's land and God gave it to the nation of Israel it doesn't belong to anybody else but to the nation of Israel it didn't belong to anybody else when God gave it to Israel come on in those days it doesn't belong to anybody else but the nation of Israel today the land belongs to Israel by covenant And then he made another covenant with them. The Davidic covenant. He told David, he said, David, out of your loins. He said, there's going to come a king. And that king is going to reign on the throne. And he wasn't just talking about the earthly descendants of David who would sit on the throne. But he was talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He would come and sit on the throne of David so that God promised there would be a throne and there would be a king sitting on that throne. Give God some praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. The other covenant that he made with them was the covenant called the new covenant or the blood covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 talks about he's going to enter into a, a new covenant with them where he would take away their sins. He would remove their sins under this new covenant. So five particular covenants that God made with Israel. Abraham, the land covenant, David's covenant. Say praise the Lord. The promise of, uh, what else did I say? The new covenant to remove the sins and backing up the covenant of law. Where God actually himself, that's the fifth one. He comes to them, God himself, audibly and speaks to them in an audible voice. And gives them his law, the Ten Commandments plus. He writes them with his own finger and with an audible voice. He preaches to them. Those five covenants primarily given to the nation of Israel. No nation has ever had the advantage that this nation had. Give God some praise. And then he says, he goes on and he tells you, he says, not just covenants, but he said that he focuses on that last one. He said the giving of the law. That was, the, was, the, was a primary covenant with God, the covenant of Moses. God made with Moses in Israel of the law. Are you here today? When he spoke audibly to them and gave them his commandments. Then he goes on and he says this, and the service of God. Nobody had it, had ever had it this good. God gave them the service of God. He gave them a tabernacle. There was a priesthood that God set up in that nation, in that tabernacle, on the behalf of the rest of the nation. These priests would offer sacrifice unto God on behalf of the rest of the nation. And the nation would know, on my behalf right now, there are priests who are offering sacrifices on my behalf right now. We've got a high priest. We've got a tabernacle. We've got a place where we can come and worship God. We've got a place where we can meet with God. The service of the tabernacle, that glorious tabernacle. He said they had this, that right there given to them from God. The service of God. What a privilege to be looked at as God's covenant people. Able to serve Him with a priesthood and sacrifices going on. 
And all that service that went on in relationship to the tabernacle, they had that, Paul says. He goes on and he says, and he, they also had promises. Promises to Abraham, promises to Isaac, promises to Jacob. Continual God giving them one promise after another promise. No people in the world had promises like they did. And then he goes on and he says, whose are the fathers? He said, not only that, but look at your lineage. Look at the patriarchs. Look who are the fathers of your nation. Look at Abraham, how awesome he was. God told Abraham, he said, I'm going to make your name great. Do you know everybody in the world today has heard about Abraham? Come on, somebody. I got a question for you. How many of y'all ever heard of a man by the name of Nimrod? Just a few of you because you've heard it taught and preached. They were trying to make their own name great. Trying to build that, 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 that tower that reached to heaven. Trying to make their own name great. But right after that, God called Abraham out of that pagan idolatry. He told him to get out of that place. And he says, don't worry about trying to make your own name great. He said, I'm going to make your name great. And there's no name like the name of Abraham. Other than the name of Jesus. He said, these are your fathers. Abraham. You can say, Abraham was your father. You can say Isaac was your father. You can say Jacob was your father. Jacob, Israel. Oh, okay. Yeah, now we're getting down to it. Look, the heritage you got. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these great men of God. And then the patriarchs, the 12 sons of Israel, or Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. He said, look at the fathers. Look at the greatness of that, that heritage that you have. Give God praise. He said, and of whom, here's the greatest one of them all. Here is the greatest privilege that they had. He said, I hope you've been reading your Bible. Hope you read all this before I preached it to you today. He said, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh. Israel, flesh Israel was going to be the ones from whom Jesus would come. His humanity would come from them. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was an Israelite. Jesus the Messiah came out of their loins according to his humanity. Paul shows you here. He said all these others were wonderful. You with me here? To be an Israelite, to be adopted, to have the glory, the covenants, the law, the service of God, the promises, and also the heritage of the fathers. But he said, here's the greatest one of them all. The greatest one of them all is that Jesus or Christ. Christ means Messiah. Christ means anointed one. The Messiah came out of Israel. He is an Israelite. He's a Jew according to his humanity. But not only that, he says, not only is Jesus according to the flesh, did Jesus come out of the loins of Israel and is a Jewish man. Bible says he is over all. Paul said, this is the highest thing I can say about Israel. This is the highest thing that can be said about Israel is that Christ came from them. He's over all. And watch this. Here's what the Bible says. He is over all, comma, 
God blessed forever. He's not just a man. He's God come in the flesh. This is one of the strongest verses in the New Testament declaring the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not just telling you that Jesus is blessed by God. It's telling you that God, He is God blessed forever. And the Jews that Paul is speaking about here, Israel that he's preaching about here, would understand that if Jesus were God, that means that Jesus was Yahweh. Because they knew no God but Yod Hey Vav Hey. They knew no God but Jehovah, if you want to call him that. They knew no God other than Yahweh. And to say that Jesus in his humanity came from Israel, but he is God blessed forever. He is Yod Hey Vav Hey. He is Yahweh Israel. He is God come in the flesh. Not just a man. Who is God? God is Jesus. Jesus is God. Blessed forever. And if you don't believe that Jesus is God today, you will die and go to hell. You cannot go to heaven without believing in the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He said, unless you believe that I am. If you don't believe that I am. That I am yod Hey vav Hey, That I'm esher esher If you don't believe that I am, that I am. If you don't believe that I am God, you will die in your sin. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you'll die in your sin. But Paul says, Jesus came from Israel according to the flesh. But he's more than just a man. He is God. Blessed forever. They should have been the ones praising. They should have been the ones singing. They should have been the ones full of zeal for Jesus. They should have been the ones ushering in the messianic kingdom. They should have been the ones that believed in the Messiah. With all that they had, they still missed him. Give God some praise. And just by way of practical application, that scares me to death. Because everything that you have and everything that I have, all the knowledge we have and all the experiences we have, oh, what a shame it would be if we become the non-elect. I'm looking at the elect of God right now. But do you know that you can become the non-elect through unbelief? You can lose all the privileges you got. We've got to understand election today is no guarantee. They were elect, but it was no guarantee. They were lost. And Paul is full of passion. He's crying. The tears running down his eyes for a lost nation who had all of these things. I can't stand before you today and tell you that America, that Jesus is, I can't make him an American nationally. Jesus is not American nationally. Jesus is an Israelite. Jesus is a Jewish man according to the flesh. But he is God come in the flesh. Only Israel of all the nations in the world can say that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is a part of us physically. He is ethnically connected to us.
God. Nobody else can say that. I'm asking you a question today. You might be the elect, but have you lost your passion for Jesus? Have you lost your passion for God? Come on. Don't lose your election and become the non-elect. He goes on and he says this. Yes, Lord. He said, the highest, the crown of all of it was that Jesus Christ came. Your Messiah came. Who is over all, God bless forever. And you missed him. And you rejected him. And you denied him as a nation. What a sad, no wonder Paul is broken. No wonder his heart is, is in the place that it is. These are his people. These were God's people according to the election in the Old Testament. And they have missed it all. Come on. He says this. What I want you to know though Paul is saying it is not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. See Paul by the end of this message in chapter 11 he's going to be rejoicing again. He will end up rejoicing. And so he starts getting a glimpse here and there. He said, not everybody that is Israel or is of Israel is Israel. Do you understand? Not as though the word of God had taken no effect. It wasn't God's fault that they're in the condition they're in. Even though they are the elect, they are responsible to walk in his mercy. They are responsible. Come on, somebody. It wasn't God's fault. Look at everything. He said, look at everything that God did for them and what he made them. And they still missed Jesus. He says, I don't want you to get the impression it's God's fault. He says, it's not God's fault. All those promises and covenants that God made, he's going to keep them. If he made unconditional covenants with Israel, he, come on, he is going to fulfill the unconditional covenants that he made with Israel. If they were conditional covenants, he still fulfills those unconditional covenants if the conditions are met. God is faithful to his unconditional covenant and God is faithful to his conditional covenant. If you meet the condition, he will bless you. If you don't meet the condition, it's not his fault. Come on, church. Give God some praise. Everybody, you know, Paul doesn't want anybody pointing the finger at God and blaming God for the situation. Saying God is the reason he can't keep his promise. He can't keep his covenant. That is not the case. God elected them, but they didn't respond to that selection. They didn't walk in that selection. You understand? Not God's fault. So what's this? Yeah. He says, For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. He said there is a flesh Israel. But not everybody that is of Israel is Israel. Come on. He's, he's given you a contrast between the flesh Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, and the true Israelites spiritually 
within Israel. Do you understand? What he's trying to show you is that to be a, a true Israelite is not to just be one outwardly or physically or ethnically an Israelite. To be a true Israelite is to be conquered by the Spirit of God. Walking in submission to God. To have it inwardly, not just outwardly. To walk in the faith that Abraham had. To be a spiritual Israelite on the inside is to be a true Israelite. See, you can have the outward physical genetic connection to Abraham. But that don't make you true Israel. You are fleshly Israel because of your connection to Abraham physically. But you are not true Israel. Because true Israel is believing Israel in the midst of fleshly Israel. So what Paul is saying is here's the need. You've got to be inside what you are on the outside. If you're not on the inside what you are on the outside, then you are not an Israelite indeed. It doesn't mean that when he says not all for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. He's not telling me as a, a born again believer now that I am Israel. Never does God ever tell us that we are spiritual Israel. In fact, we sort of cross the line at times when we say we are spiritual Jews. I am not a spiritual Israelite and I am not a spiritual Jew. Are you with me here? In the real technical sense of the word. You show me one place in the Bible where the church is ever called spiritual Israel. You show me one place in the Bible where the church is ever called a spiritual Jew. Yes, the Bible says we are of the seed of Abraham. But that don't make me a spiritual Israelite or a spiritual Jew. He's talking about Israel within Israel. He's talking about true Israelites that have been born again. These are the true Israelites within Israel, the flesh Israel. There is a spiritual Israel within the flesh Israel. That does not mean, though, that what God said and preached to Israel in the Old Testament is not for me by way of application. It is to be preached by way of application. But when you get to the Word of God and you interpret it, you must interpret it literally in connection with Israel. The promises God made to Israel about their land are still in effect today. The promise that God made to Israel about a king that was set upon the throne of David is still in effect today. It's unfulfilled, but it's in effect today. Come on to the physical Israel. But he said flesh Israel is not the true Israel. The true Israel of God is those who have inwardly, spiritually, they have the same thing that they are physically. Do you understand the difference? I can preach Israel. I can preach Jacob when he became Israel. I can preach all the Old Testament and apply it to you. Come on, somebody. I can apply it. I can preach it by way of application. But I can never tell you that you have replaced Israel. I can never tell you that you have replaced the Jewish people. I can never tell you. That is not what that verse is teaching. Although some replacement theologians will preach it like that. They will tell you that the Gentiles are in that verse. That not all of Israel, here watch, 
For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. They will tell you that that's the Gentiles. Come on. I don't see that. I see Paul right here preaching about the nation of Israel. I see him preaching about the physical descendants of Abraham. I see him preaching about flesh Israel. But he says in the midst of flesh Israel, there is a true Israel. It is the spiritual seed of God. It's the seed of Jesus Christ. Those who have been born again and walk according to the faith of Abraham. And anybody that tells you the church has replaced Israel is a, is a heretic. He's lying. You better get away from him because it will affect the way you see prophecy. They will tell you that Israel has no hope in the future as a nation their land they, that land doesn't belong to them they don't have any hope in relationship to the covenants that God made but I got news for you Paul is letting you know God's going to fulfill them God's going to keep his word the problem with the nation today is not God he still has covenants with them that he'll bring to pass the problem is their rejection of the Messiah and today, primarily, Israel as a nation is flesh Israel. Primarily today, their state is governed and run by atheists. Some of them are atheists. They don't believe, most of them don't even believe God. It is a secular state. The nation of Israel is a secular state. And there are, the nation of Israel, flesh Israel, is full of atheists. Do you understand that? But Paul is saying within them, within that flesh Israel, there is the seed of Jesus. There is the seed of Abraham. There are those, even presently and in the future, that will come to the Messiah. And all these covenants will be fulfilled in the last days. Give God some praise. Because it's just a partial setting apart of Israel anyway. It's what Paul is going to show you in the ninth and 10th chapter. And then when he gets to the 11th chapter, he's going to show you it's only temporary. It's not forever. Give God some praise. If I, if I preach to you and I tell you you're a spiritual Jew, it's not in the literal sense. I'm telling you, you're a worshiper. Judah means praise. If you're a praiser spiritually, you are a Judahite. But I, I'm, I'm trying to get right down where we really need to get here with this understanding of this passage. Hallelujah, Jesus. And the re I'm going to tell you, you know what? If I preach it like this, it'll bring the blessing of God on this church. If I stand up and tell you that God has replaced Israel and there's no hope for them as a nation in any form or fashion, then I bring the curse of God upon this house. But if I will stand and declare this truth to you, it brings the blessing of God Almighty on this assembly. Hallelujah, Jesus. He said it's just partial. He said even in the days that he lived, there was a spiritual Israel within physical Israel. There was, there was a, an Israel that believed in the Messiah among the physical Israelites. He said they are the true Israelites of God. Come on. Not Gentiles who've come into the kingdom. Becoming Israel. Come on. Oh yeah, look at me. I, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe me. But I tell you what, get in and study it for yourself. Come on, give God some praise. 
I have been burdened about these passages. I have been burdened about them. I must declare them accurately to you in this time. You must understand what Paul is saying here. The problem is they didn't get in Christ. If they would have got in Christ, they would have been true spiritual Israelites. Because ultimately Jesus is Israel. I don't have time to get into that, but the prophet Isaiah preached to you and showed you that Jesus was true Israel. Hallelujah. Give God praise. In fact, certain prophecies that Jesus fulfilled... God preached it to Israel, but they were fulfilled by the Messiah. So Jesus is the true Israel. So if you're going to be true Israel, then you got to get in the true Israel. Hallelujah, church. So it wasn't God's fault. He said, you missed it. You have a responsibility to walk in that election. You, individually, everybody here has a responsibility for your own salvation. No pastor can save you. No man, come on, Jesus is it. You are responsible. God will give you one advantage after another advantage, one privilege after another privilege. And you are the elect of God. But you have a responsibility to enter into that election. And I don't have time to get into that, all that right now. Maybe tonight I'll preach you a message on election. It's beating my heart for the church. So you'll understand election. But watch this. He says, come on. For as though the word of God hath taken out effect, for they are not all Israel, which are Israel. He says, you know what? I look. Now Paul's starting to get a little hope. He can look at the history of flesh Israel. And he will tell you. He gets a revelation. He says there's always been a remnant. He said there's always been the elect. There's always been a true spiritual Israel in the middle of flesh Israel. He said at times they were small in number, but there has always been a people who walked with the faith of Abraham. He's starting to get, he's starting to get a little... Okay, yeah, all right. Getting some revelation from the Lord now about the whole situation. Come on. Always, always that little remnant. Always that little group of people in the middle of the physical people who are true people of God. Same thing can be said about the church. The church today, come on. The church today, for they are not all the church which are of the church. For they are not all the church which are of the church. Which means you have a professing church that gathers, but in the midst of that professing church that gathers, in the midst of that, you've got the real church, you've got the real body of Christ. It's not the professing church world as a whole. Not the visible church that you can see. Not the fleshly church that you can see. But in the midst of the physical that you see, the professing church world. He said there is a remnant. There is a spiritual seed. There is the people of God. It is the true church within the church. 
You need to ask yourself a question today. You came to church today. You gathered here today. And the visible church is present here today. But how many of us are in the church? How many of us are the true elect? How many of us are really God's people? I'm going to show you. Tonight. Oh God, if you let me tonight. I'm going to show you. You know what? There's evidence for you that proves that you are the elect. I'm going to try to give it to you tonight. But I'm telling you today, I can be like Paul and you can be like Paul. And we, look, we can look at the church, the professing church world as a whole. And we can be broken. And we can be full of sorrow and grief and pain and tears run down our eyes. Why is that? Because not everybody that is of the church is in the church. Come on, somebody. So we cry and we travail and we pray. We pray for the lukewarm. We pray for somebody who comes to church and professes it but don't have the new birth. They're not born of the Spirit. They're not in Jesus Christ. They just got the outward profession. They just have the physical and that's all they got. But they're really not in God's church. And that's where Paul was. I tell you, the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. He didn't tell the pastor to make your calling and election sure. He said, you make your calling and election sure. You have a responsibility to be the elect of God by your choice. Come on, somebody. Look, look at your name and say, it's my responsibility. My responsibility to make my calling and my election. Sure. Hallelujah. Just because you walk into a church building don't make you a part of the church. You can walk in a chicken coop. It don't make you a chicken. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Are you a part of the church of the living God? Or do you just have the outward profession that you are? Even physical Israel. Even fleshly Israel. With the spiritual Israel in the midst of them. Even fleshly Israel enjoyed the benefits of the covenants that God made. They enjoyed the benefits as a corporate body, as a corporate man of people. Even people in Israel in the Old Testament that didn't believe in God still enjoyed the benefits of those covenants. But God says there's a remnant. He said there, there's an elect people within the flesh church, within the flesh Israel. They are true Israel. They are the true church. Give God some praise. Thank you, Jesus. Watch this. It didn't catch God by surprise. It didn't catch God by surprise that when Jesus came, that Israel rejected Him as a nation. There were a remnant, even in G when Jesus came, the remnant of believers, Anna and Simeon and, and so on and so forth, the disciples and Mary. They, there was a remnant that believed in the Messiah. Okay? But the nation as a whole is what he's talking about here. 
the nation. It didn't catch God by surprise when the nation rejected Him. He knew the choice they would make. Come on. Watch what He says. He's going to show you this election. This selection of God. Do you understand this today? Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they the children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. It's not just flesh Israel that can say they're the children of God. It's not just flesh Israel. Come on, are you here? They can say they're Israelites. Because Abraham had sons. He had a son by the name of Ishmael. Ishmael was not an Israelite. But he was a descendant of Abraham according to the flesh. He could put on a good front. Look at me. I look like a son of Abraham, don't I? Can't you see my features, says Ishmael? In fact, Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmael has a part of the name of God in him. Which means, he, which means to be heard of God. Ishmael, the Arabs today have a portion of the name of God in them. Do you understand? Ishmael, though, was fleshly. It's a picture of the flesh. Descendants of Abraham. Flesh versus spirit. God says you can be a flesh child, but don't make you my child. You can have the physical characteristics of your daddy Abraham, but that don't make you a child of God. You look like Abraham. You got his physical appearance, Ishmael, but you are not Israel. You are just a fleshly descendant of Abraham, Ishmael. See, we can walk around, and I'll tell you what, the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, I still tell you today, they are the descendants of Abraham. Abraham is our father. Physically, that's true, but not spiritually, it's not true. They worship a false god. Islam, Muslim faith, the Arabs today, Ishmaelites, they, they have a physical connection to Abraham, but not a spiritual connection. They have the name of God in their name. Hallelujah. And they might look like Abraham, but they're not. The spiritual seed of Abraham. Do you understand? Oh, Lord, I could preach all day on this. The same thing you go to church, man. You, you start taking on the characteristics of a church person. Physically, you got the characteristics of your daddy. But that don't make you a part of the family of God. You must. You've got to get this in your spirit. Ishmael had an outward appearance of Abraham. But he was lost. Come on. I'm talking about as a nation. Talking about nations here. Any Ishmaelite can be saved individually, and any Israelite can be saved individually. Paul was an Israelite saved individually. 
He's talking about the nations. What's this? He said, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Now I can tell you this, because the Bible tells us Galatians, that you are the seed of Abraham. If you're born again and you're in Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. I can tell you that. That's what the Bible says. Yes, Lord. He said, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. God says, I didn't select Ishmael. God says, I did not elect Ishmael. God says, I did not choose Ishmael. I chose Abraham and I choose, chose Isaac. I selected Isaac. I elected Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac was my choice. Why didn't you choose or elect Ishmael? Because you foreknew or God foreknew the kind of person Ishmael would be. He knew Ishmael would be fleshly. He knew Ishmael would be carnal. He knew Ishmael would be carnally minded. He knew Ishmael would be a meathead. Write it down. See, it wasn't before they were born, before Isaac was born, and before Ishmael was born, that God said, okay, I choose Isaac over Ishmael. Come on. Without giving Ishmael a chance. He did choose them, but it's because he knew what kind of people they would be. He knew that Ishmael would be a meathead, and he knew Isaac would be a spiritual man. That's why he chose Isaac over Ishmael. That's why he elected Isaac. You know why some of you are the elect and some are not the elect? It's because some people who are not the elect are Ishmaelites. They're fleshly. It's not that God preordained them to be lost. God did not pre-select them to be damned. God did not pre-select them to be carnal. It's the way they have chosen. And God foreknew the way they would choose. And that's why he says, I don't choose them because of the way they will choose. The decisions they make, your choice determines your destiny. And because God knows the choices that Ishmael would make, he did not select Ishmael. He selected or elected Isaac because of his foreknowledge. Come on, somebody. I'm going to tell you something. When you get in this election thing that this, these passages are preaching about, it is one awesome thing. If you can ever understand it, then I pray as I preach it, you will. I'm asking God to help me. Come on. See, God has, has chosen you to succeed. He's chosen you to be victorious. He has chosen you not to fail. He's chosen you. He wants to use you. He wants you to be His elect. But He also knows what kind of person you're going to be.
He knows if you're going to be a meathead or if you're going to be spiritually minded. He foreknows that. Okay? And he bases his election on that. He knows that no matter what privilege, no matter what power, no matter what manifestation, no matter what covenant, no matter what, what he does for some people, he's still going to do it. He's still going to do it for them. But he knows it's not going to do any good with them. It's not God's problem. The problem is with them. He knows, but he still does it. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's a God of love. He didn't, when you were born, he, or before you were born, he didn't predestinate you to fail or to go to hell. No, no, no. He does everything he possibly can. Covenants, adoption, everything he can to make you his elect. The problem is, he knows, having done that, that many people are still going to be Ishmaelites. They're still going to live after the flesh. Come on. But God has a remnant. He has an elect. Woo! Let me just throw this in for you. Because God has chosen you to succeed and to, feel, uh, to uh, be successful spiritually and to be His elect, if you're not walking as His elect right now, you can suspend your non-election right now. You can suspend your non-election right now. If you don't feel like you're the elect, God said, I want you to be my elect. It's not my problem, it's your problem. If you'll choose what I've chosen, you will be my elect. But if you don't choose what I have chosen, then you will automatically become my non-elect. And here's the thing about election is, none of us here know the ultimate outcome. But God knows the ultimate outcome. He knows somebody that's going to get born again and live for Him for the rest of their life and persevere in holiness. And those people He calls the elect. He also knows those that He's going to dump blessings on them. He's going to do all kinds of things for them. And they're still not going to make it in the end. But He still pours out His goodness and His mercy. But it's their responsibility to walk in it. You can't point the finger at God. You can't point the finger at a pastor. You can't point the finger at nobody. It is your choice that determines your destiny. You will be the elect or you'll be the non-elect based on your choices in life. So God elected Isaac because he knew the decisions that Ishmael would make. Yeah, stretch your mind, won't it? It'll make you fall out on a table. <laughs> One theologian said this about election. He said, for you to try to understand it would make you lose your mind. But for you to deny it would make you lose your soul. That's how heavy the, this doctrine of election is in the Bible. It's a Bible doctrine. You study it to understand it and make you lose your mind. You fail to believe it and you'll lose your soul. Election. Give God some praise. And that's what he's, that's what he's getting into. Woo! God! It, it, it 
sure would make my life a lot easier as a pastor if God would tell me, you know what, I'm doing everything I can for them, but they're not the elect because they're going to be meatheads anyway. <laughs> so, but this one, now you can focus on this one because they're my elect. They will make it. They will persevere to the end. He would make it so easy for me if God would do that, but he don't do that. So, because God keeps working with meatheads, hallelujah, then he makes us keep working with meatheads, God. And I pray to God, I'm not a meathead, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not joking with you. I mean business here. I pray to God that your pastor's not a meathead. That I don't pers persevere. That, that, that something happens in my life that I go fleshly. That I don't persevere to the end. And that I cease to be the elect of God. I'm not pointing a finger at you. This is shaking the hell out of me. You're not there yet, honey. You ain't standing in front of Jesus right now. You haven't heard him say, enter in thou good and faithful servant into the joy of thy Lord. You haven't made it yet. But if you're the elect, you will because you'll persevere to the end. God knows the decisions we make. So he says, it's not, he says, it's not the physical seed of Abraham. It's not Ishmael. It's not the flesh seed. It's the spiritual seed. It's Isaac. He's the one I have selected. Because he knew he could select them. You might think I'm rude and I'm crude and I'm all of that this morning. But what I'm telling you is the plain truth. Do you understand? See, that's why I know, I know people, God knows people, that no matter what He does for some, they're never going to live for Him. They're just not. So it's not because God let them down. It's not because God didn't help them. Come on. God's mercy is extended to everybody. He is a benevolent God. He loves everybody. He wants everybody to be in the elect. But your choice determines your destiny. And he knows the choice you're going to make. And he knows the choice I'm going to make. But watch this. He still pours out his goodness. Do you understand that? That's why you can't, as a, as a person who's walking with God maybe right now, you can't look at your life. If you were to go away from God right now and start living in the world, and your life is still, you know, okay, and you might even get more financial blessings and things, and as far as from a carnal, worldly perspective goes, things get better. You can't, you can't say, okay, well, God must be pleased with me, because look at all these blessings I got. Because God, in His goodness, will keep showering you with His goodness and His blessing, even if you're going to hell. Because that's the kind of God He is. He's merciful and He's benevolent. He's kind. He's loving. And He's compassionate. And He'll just keep blessing your life. But are you walking with Him? Are you persevering in holiness? Are you in sanctification? Holiness. Are you set apart for His purpose? He wants you to be. That's why He says, bless Him. Bless them and curse not. Bless them. I know how long I can be merciful to them. And it's God who determines the time or the length of that mercy. Oh, come on. I'm off on a practical application now. I'm talking to you. 
Let me tell you, I know people who were in the church, they were leading service, not in this church, but in another church that I attended. They were worship leaders. They're in the world today. Their whole focus is their business. They are blessed financially, but they're lost. They're going to hell. They walked out on God, and their business went, exploded. I could tell you the name of their company right now. Everybody in this room right here knows this company. But they're lost. But you know what God does? And His goodness and His benevolence, His kindness and mercy, He just keeps blessing them. Mm, giving them an opportunity to respond to election. Jesus! Help me to... God, I pray the power of the Holy Ghost hits you. I pray the power of God gets a hold of you. We are, listen, we are not what we should be. We should be a, a people full of fire. We should be a people full of passion. <laughs> Election. Anyway, I got to go on. I'm not going to, aren't you glad I'm not going to preach all three chapters? I wanted to real bad. I prepared all three of them. I wanted to preach all of them to you. But, you know, God, let's let God have His way, man. Somebody just jump in some of this. Verse 8. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. You get it? But the children of the promise are counted for the seed of God. Are the elect of God. The remnant of God. Spiritual Israel belongs to Him. Not the atheistic Israelite. Come on. Everybody has got to be saved the same way. It's all, you, you Gentile or Jew, you still got to get in Jesus. That's the only way to be saved. If that were not true, if, if just because you were a physical Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and you say you believe in God, that that makes you saved, then why is this man crying? Why is this man broken hearted over their lost condition? He's going to show you election. Israel is my elect. And I did all this for them. But it doesn't mean everybody's going to walk in that election that are physical Israelites. He said there's a remnant who are going to be the elect. Within physical Israel. Same thing for the church. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah will have a son. Who's that son? Isaac. Son of promise. Supernatural of the spirit, not of the flesh. Isaac is supernatural of the spirit, born of the spirit. She's dead. Her wound's dead. Abraham's an old man. He needs help. Yeah. <laughs> and not only this, but when Rebecca also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Jacob is the younger. 
But Esau is going to serve. It's not going to be Ishmael. Come on. It's going to be Isaac. It's not going to be Esau. It's going to be Jacob. And it's not because they've done any good. It's election. Why does God elect Jacob over Esau? Because God knows Jacob has a heart for the spirit. He knows that Esau is going to be Edom as a nation fleshly. God knows that. He doesn't predestinate Esau to give up his birthright. All right. Before he's born. He don't say, okay, Esau, I'm going to let you be born, but I predestinate you. You're going to give up your birthright. No. But he knows that Esau will. He knows that Jacob, though Jacob's a liar and a cheater and a scandal as much as Esau is, he knows that Jacob has a heart for the Spirit. And he knows, he can say, I choose Jacob because I know the choices that Jacob will make. So I elect him. I can't elect Esau. Even though I would like to elect Esau, I can't. The elder shall serve the younger. It's the second birth that is important. It is the new birth that is important more than the physical birth. And what is important is not your who your daddy is right now in the physical. What is important is who is your father now? Is God your father? It's not important that Abraham's your physical father. It's not important. Who's your daddy right now? Are you the seed of God? Have you been born again? That's what's important. Is who's your daddy now? So again, he did not predestinate Esau before birth that Esau was going to give up his birthright. But he knew that Esau was going to give up his birthright. Now, you know Jacob. You know him, don't you? You know that, that liar and that cheater. That, he was a scoundrel, man. Jacob have I loved. Ooh. <laughs> Wonder why, brother. He knows the choices you're going to make. He knows he can elect you. See, here's the whole mystery behind it. You don't even know. He knows. You don't know the ultimate outcome of your life until you've lived it. But he does. But here's the good thing. You can choose what he's chosen and stay in his elect. Do you understand? Do you understand? So it's going to be Jacob. And Jacob is the first Israelite. Abraham is the first Hebrew. Are you with me? Isaac is the son of promise. Jacob becomes Israel when God wrestles with his flesh and knocks his thigh out of joint. Israel is a place where two ways meet. It's God meeting with Jacob and God wrestling with Jacob where two ways meet. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Israel is where two ways meet.
God conquered Jacob. And from that day forward, Jacob walked with a limb. He no longer depended on his own ability. He trusted in the God of Abraham and Isaac. And so God says, don't call him Jacob, call him Israel. As a prince thou hast power with God. God conquered that man. But see, God knew in his foreknowledge that Jacob would, would be conquered. But he also knew in his foreknowledge that Esau could not be. Give God some praise. That's why he elected. That's why he elected Jacob. You understand? That's why he elected Israel. He knew what Israel was going to do before Israel ever did it. But he knew there was going to be true spiritual Israelites within the physical nation of Israel. He knew there would be some who would be conquered by God, who would be his children. Come on, walking the walk of Abraham. But he also knew among those physical descendants, they'd be, act like just like Ishmael, and they would act just like Esau. They would be fleshly, and there would be kings named Saul, and he'd be fleshly, but David would be spiritually. So he said, I'll elect that one, and I'll elect that one, and I'll elect that one. Your choice determines your destiny. Everybody in this church this morning, I'm coming to a close. Everybody in this church is making decisions. Every one of you are making choices. God is showing you that you can't point a finger at Him and accuse Him for where you are right now. Your decisions in life, your choices in life have determined where you are this very moment. And if you're not in the elect, you can choose right now what He's chosen and be in His elect. Do you understand? He wants you to. Beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. Just as he did not predestinate Esau to give up his birthright, he did not predestinate you to fail and go to hell. He wants you to be a part of his election. The decision is in your hands. You are a free agent. You are a free moral agent. You can choose what he's chosen or you can will against his will. He knows the decision you are going to make before you ever make it. And so he says, I can elect that one, or I can non-elect that one. Woo, heavy. And when did that start? Before time. Not today, before time. He elected Israel before time. Because he knew what kind of nation Israel would be. Some would be fleshly, and some would be spiritually. Spiritual. Give God praise. <clears throat> As is written, Jacob have I loved, verse 13, and Esau have I hated. <laughs> yeah. Now, again, we're not talking about individuals here because when, when that prophecy was given in Malachi, that was before, that, I mean, that was after they were born. He's talking about nations. He's talking about out of Jacob or Israel would become the nation of Israel. Out of the loins of Esau would come Edom, the Edomites, carnal, fleshly people, okay? But God knew beforehand 
He didn't predestinate them to failure and predestinate them to flesh and predestinate them to be carnal and predestinate these people to be spiritual and these people to be saved and these people to be elect. It's not the way. Choice. Do you understand? Do you understand? He knew the choices. Yeah, man. Lord, help me. Help me, Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome to be God? <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Somebody break your heart, you don't cry over it. No, he did. He did. He cried through the eyes of Paul. He cried through the eyes of Jeremiah. He cried through all the eyes of the prophets. He cried through the eyes of Jesus. God cried and he cried because his bride, the one he loved, said no to him. He knew what they were going to do. And he kept pouring out showers of benevolence and kindness and mercy. But he knew what they were going to do. But he said, I also know that if I keep pouring out my love and keep pouring out my mercy and keep pouring out my grace on Israel, because of that, there's going to be a few, a remnant within Israel that's going to be my kids, be my wife. If I just keep pouring out mercy, there's going to be a few there. So he kept on, kept on, kept on, long-suffering and merciful. And those, his elect, responded to that mercy. Give God some praise. <clears throat> As is written, Jacob, have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, what is this according to? Election. You get the point? Election. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. No. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What he's showing you is this, is God, he is a merciful God. He extends mercy to everybody. He extends mercy even to the disobedient. He, ex he extends mercy even upon those he knows are not going to live for him. He is not, he is not unrighteous. They, election is not that God has predetermined Esau to give up his birthright and predetermined somebody to be lost and predetermined somebody to be the non-elect and then predetermined some others to be the elect. He said, I show mercy to everybody. He said, but what he's trying to show you is the responsibility to walk in that mercy is yours. It is yours. You can't blame God. I get so fed up with this. People don't know their Bibles. They want to blame God for everything. Oh, they want to blame somebody else. You know why they won't live for God? No, your choice. You can't point your bony finger at God and accuse Him of letting you down. He constantly unloads His mercies on you. But you have to walk in it. So what's this? I'll have mercy. I'll be compassionate on whom I will have compassion. So then it's not of Him that willeth, nor of Him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Come on. Isaac wanted Esau. That was Isaac's will. It be Esau. It's not him that willeth or him that runneth. Come on. Run out there, Esau, and give me some meat. But of God that showeth mercy. 
Jacob is going to respond to the mercy of God. Esau will not. Do you understand this? This is some of the most awesome things in the Word of God I've ever seen. If we rightly understand it. Do you respond to God? Do you respond to His mercy? Do you respond to His compassion? He pours it out on whomsoever He will. Even to the disobedient. Not because your works are better than their works or you're better than they are. His, you have responded to His mercy. You've responded to His grace. We'll see in Romans later on. I believe it's Romans 11. It's the election of grace. Man, I tell you what, I don't know how God loves some of y'all. <laughs> oh, look at me like that, you all. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. You're not up here preaching. You get back there just back there and look at me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking with you. you been, come on, people in the church, you want to... Man, God, they, go, they need to go to hell. Now, I'm not judging anybody to hell. I'm just saying, God, the way they act, they need to go to hell, man. You with me? But God's mercy still is extended. And kindness, love, yeah. compassion. He just keeps doing it. You wonder why? Won't you just, God, just, you know. You understand? Why does he do that? Number one, if they're not the elect, he keeps doing that to give them an opportunity. So that they will be without excuse on judgment day. They can never point a finger at God and say, God, you didn't tell me. God, you didn't help me. God, you didn't give me enough mercy. God, there was not enough grace. They can never point the finger at God. They will be without excuse because God has continually given them an opportunity to walk and to respond to the mercy and compassion of God. That's why he does it. So they'll be without excuse. If they're the non-elect. And if they're the elect, then the reason why he pours out mercy is not because we're so good. It's because we responded to his mercy. Pretty awesome God we serve. Yeah, seven minutes. I'm, I made up my mind to let you out at 1230. You can't handle anything more than that anyway. You walk out of here. There's no one righteous with God. He's going to show mercy upon who he wants to show mercy. Compassion upon who he wants to show compassion to. That means he even does it to the disobedient, the non-elect. And to those who are the elect because he knows they respond to it. But you are responsible. So am I. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this cause, our same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be, be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he, will be, he hardeneth. What he's saying is this. Pharaoh 
had an opportunity to respond to the first request of God. If Pharaoh would have said yes to God when God said, let my people go, then God's, come on, mercy and power would still have been demonstrated in the release of his people. But because Pharaoh chose to reject God, harden his heart, what that means to get stubborn against God, stubborn against God, Come on, he chose that. Then God says, okay, if you choose to be hard against me, after I get through dealing with the hardness of people towards me, then I will manifest, and I can, he can at any time, manifest his wrath and his power against those who have hardened themselves against him after he has endured that rejection. You understand? It wasn't that God predestinated Pharaoh to harden, to, to say no to God. It was that when he said no to God, that mercy having been extended to him, just like the others, then God said, okay, there comes a time I can choose when to stop my mercy. I can determine how long to let my mercy be extended to you, and I can choose when to stop that mercy. That's why you don't want to play with God. Because every time you say no to God, every time you harden your heart to God, then if you're not careful, God lifts his hand off of you, and then your heart gets hardened. He hardens your heart. You get more stubborn. Every time you say no, you get a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. And if you keep doing that pretty soon, God will just give you up. And he alone has the right to say when he will have mercy and when he'll stop with his mercy. And with Pharaoh, he said, no more mercy. See it? Judge him. See what I'm saying? Send the plagues. Etc. Etc. Alright. That's what he's saying here. Oh yeah, this is beautiful. It was because of Pharaoh's choice that he could not be the elect. But he could have chosen what God chose and he would have been saved along with Israel. But because he said no to God and did not choose to walk in his mercy, then God says, okay, then I'll pour out my wrath on you. I'll pour out my judgment on you. Because I have a right to say when to stop mercy and to bring wrath. Are you awake? Now, don't look at me like this is so hard to understand. I'm giving it to you where babies can understand it. I've got the carrots out. I've ground them all up. You haven't had to grind anything. Just open your mouth. Put the bib on and eat. <laughs> Hallelujah. You don't, know, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've gone through, man. I, God, I'm losing my mind. Losing my mind to understand it. But I know I have to believe it if I'm going to be saved. Oh, God, give me, give me some fire, brother. <laughs> Broke my arm, man. <laughs> I said five, not the whole body. And he launched in with a whole 250 pounds of muscle. <clears throat> Jacob, have I loved Esau? <laughs> 
But do you understand what, we're, what, what he's trying to show you here in this, in this word? It's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The reason why Israel is in the predicament they're in is because of their choice. Not God's fault. But their choice have put them in this situation. But God's not through with them. Come on. The reason why they're under his judgment right now? Because of their choice. Brother. Man. You sure you're in the right business? <laughs> I think I'll, I'll call a... No, I ain't going to say that. I'm preaching the word of God. I can't be carnal. Can I be your agent? If you let me be your agent, I got a plan for you. Just meet me after church, okay? You are the elect. <laughs> just meet me. I got, I, can I be your agent? I just need to know that. He don't, he's not going to say. He, gonna, he wants to know the terms before. <laughs> Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth ye, why he yet find... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting drunk now, man. <laughs> Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Come on. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing form say unto him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured, which much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Election. He's just showing you. The reason why these are vessels of wrath is because they've chosen that. And if he decides to, he can pour out his power and wrath on those vessels of wrath. Because of their choice. Not because they have been predestined by God or elected to be non-elect. Do you see this? Mm, Israel, you're in the mess you're in right now. Not because of God. God poured out, he, he, gave, he extended mercy, he ex patience, long-suffering. They rejected the election. Okay? Some of them, not all of them. And so he says, just like Pharaoh, I can pour my wrath out on him. And my power on him. Because I've endured their unbelief. I have endured with them. I've been long-suffering with them. Now it's time for me to point my wrath. Do you understand? I'm almost done, I promise you. Even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He said, it's the look at the Gentiles, they're saved. Look at their salvation. He said, they're a part of the elect of God. Do you understand? Pharaoh could have been saved. Pharaoh could have been the elect. But he was not, not because God predetermined it, but because he chose not to submit to the mercy of God. Therefore, he was not the elect. Same thing for you and I. 
Every one of us here in this church, same, same thing. As he saith also in, in O.C., I will call them. This is Hosea. O.C. O.C. I will call them my people which are not my people and her beloved which was not beloved. Now he's applying this to the Gentiles. Look at this. He said, I'm going to call a people who are not my people, my people. I'm going to call a people who are not pitied or a people of no mercy. I'm going to call them people who've had mercy upon them. And he applies it to the Gentiles. He applies it to us. We didn't have any promise. We didn't have any covenant. But God said, I'm going to call the people who are not my people. I'm going to call them my people. And the people who are not pitied, I'm going to call them the people who are pitied. I'm going to elect the Gentiles. And the, way I, the reason I can elect them is because of their response to my mercy. That's why I can elect them. Because of their response to me. They're not national Israel. They're not physical Israel. They're not spiritual Israel, but I can still save them because of their response to my mercy. So Paul applies Hosea, a prophecy that was preached to Israel. He applies it to Gentiles. But interpretation limits it still to Israel. In Hosea, when you study Hosea, he said, I'm going to call the people who there are my people. They're not my people. And then he says, those people who are not my people, I'm going to call them my people. Still to Israel. He's still preaching to Israel in Hosea. But he applies the verse to the Gentiles. Do you understand? There's still going to be an elect. That is why I can take Hosea and I can preach it to the Gentile church. I can take Isaiah, Jeremiah, let me tell you, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, on and on, all those men. I can preach it to the church by way of application. When it was specifically spoken to Israel, it can still be applied to the Gentiles just like Paul does. That's where I get Bible to do that. Okay, Lord, help me. Uh-uh. Okay, okay, okay. At least I'm not doing 10 and 11. I'm going to finish 9. Okay? Hosea and Gomer have a child. Call them not my people. Can you see this little, little person running around the house? Hey, not my people. Hey, not my people. Hey, not my people. And then another child is born call them not pitied or not a people who've had mercy on them so not my people and not pitied come here not my people come here not pitied not no sit down (laughs) come on how but in the place where it was said Not my people and not pitied. It will be said, my people pitied. God. 
Gentiles. Gentiles, you and me. Anglo, Hispanic, Spanish, Chinese. <laughs> Brother, this is my message. I'm pretty nice, God's message. The royal seed, this man right here. He's a descendant of Solomon. You don't know what I'm talking about. Solomon was a, a colored man just like him. A royal seed in jeopardy. Hmm. We're not talking about nationality. We're talking about color of his skin. Solomon. Royal seed in jeopardy. Come on, somebody. Ruth was the same color skin he is. Shotterabokosa. Do you understand? No wonder they call you the beautiful race, man. Hallelujah. Oh. 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 Now you know why he gets all that spirit, you know. That fire, he was born with it. The election. And thank God. Bible says this. It should kind of pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. He, Isaiah also cried concerning Israel. For the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. He said, They're innumerable like the sand of the sea, but a remnant within them shall be saved. Not everybody is in the elect. He said, the Gentiles are part of the elect now. You're part of the elect now. Because you responded to the message. You responded to Jesus Christ. You responded to His mercy. You got in Him. It's not who your natural daddy was. It's who your daddy is now that's important. Same thing with Israel. It's according to election. Okay, so remnant, say remnant. For he will finish the work. He will finish the work. There will be people within the nation of Israel that will be saved. He's going to finish the work and cut it short. Read Matthew 24, it talks about the end of the tribulation. He's going to cut it short. The persecution of Antichrist is going to cut it short. The end of the tribulation period. Israel, when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. When the Gentiles, that predetermined number of Gentiles are saved, come in. Throughout the tribulation, all the way up to the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation, then God is going to save Israel. He's going to cut it short. Read Revelation chapter 7. Look at that innumerable company of, of people standing before God out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Standing before God. He's going to cut it short, man. It's going to be a quick word. I tell you what, when God takes us into the tribulation period, you talk a mighty, uh, about a mighty Jewish Israelite revival like you have never seen in history. It's just ahead of us. He promises it in His Word. 
with me here? He will finish the work. Oh, Paul's starting to get excited now. He's starting to get revelation now. Starting to understand what has happened. Cut it short in righteousness because the short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts, angels, had left us a seed. We had been as Sodom and been had like unto Gomorrah. Throughout history, they were constantly in rebellion against God. But God kept extending mercy and long-suffering and compassion. And a few, of the rim, a few here and a few there believed and walked with God and had inwardly what they were outwardly. They were true spiritual Israelites. He said, if it hadn't been for God's mercy, come on. He said, if it wasn't for God's mercy, if it were, the Lord himself had left us a seed, we had been like Son of God, been made, we would have been cut off. What shall we say then that, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, come on, have attained to righteousness, right standing with God. A right relationship with God. The elect of God with the seed of Israel. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness. Hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Because they tried to do it by their own good works. They tried a legalistic approach. To be saved. To be right with God based on their good works. By trying to keep the law. And so when Jesus came along, they stumbled over Jesus, the only way to be saved, because they said, one man can't do what I should be able to do for myself by keeping the law legalistically and be saved. And so they stumbled at him. And he's the only way they can be saved. They exchanged legalism for the election of grace. And being in a right relationship with God through faith. Are you with me? But Israel, here's, he said, here's the hope, here's the reason, here's the, here's the situation. He said, the choice of Israel. There is elect, but they, watch this, they forfeited their election because of their choice. But if they could choose, come on, the wrong thing, they can also repent and choose the right thing. Hallelujah. And come back into fellowship with God. If they'll just get in Jesus. In Jesus. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness. Hath not attained the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith. But as it were by the works of the law. From, they stumbled at that stumble, stumbling stone, they stumbled at Jesus. Because they thought they could do it. They were so full of pride. We can keep the law ourselves. We can be right with God on, based on our own good works. Come on. So they stumbled at Jesus. Behold, I lay in sign. See, it's by covenant. It's by covenant. He's trying to show them it's by the blood covenant. They have to have their sins removed or remitted by the shedding of blood. If they don't put their faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, they cannot be saved. Because the law was not given so that you could try to be good enough to be saved. The law was given to drive you into the arms of a Savior. <laughs> the law was given to you to show you your need for the blood and the covenant. The new covenant. 
You understand? Yeah. As for behold, a land of Zion, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Awesome God. This situation with Israel is not total. There's still individuals that will be Messianic believers. Paul is one of them. You understand? But the nation as a whole, God's not through with them though. He's not through with them as a nation. Are you here with me? That people that is not his people today will become his people in the end. That people that are not pitied today will become a people who are pitied. I'm talking about Israel. That is the interpretation of it. The application, Paul says, is to the Gentiles. But I'm not Israel. I'm just in Him. I'm not even trying to become Israel. I'm not even trying to become a Jew. I'm the seed of Abraham and I'm in Jesus. I am the elect. At least right now I'm in the elect. I have the evidence right now that I'm in the elect. I know that. Okay? Thank God. The elect walk in truth. Okay? The elect respond to the mercy of God. Do you understand? The elect get in Jesus Christ. God is their father. And I close. Next week I'll finish chapter 10. Well, I don't know what I'll finish chapter 10. I'll get in at chapter 10. And maybe I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what God wants me to do. I'll tell you something. I thank God for me to be able to preach this this morning. Because you don't know how. If I didn't have God to be able to preach this this morning, you would not have understood a word I say. Would not have understood it. But see, God is so good. He wants you to understand election. Now, unless the Lord changes, I'm going to preach to you tonight a message on election. On election. Okay? And, uh, hallelujah, it's full of hope, and it's full of good news, but it will put the fear of God in you. <laughs> Love you. You're dismissed. I'm going to let you go home, but let me pray. Father, I just thank you for your beautiful word tonight. I give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Thank you for the anointing. It's not for me. It's for your people, Lord, tonight. Today, Lord Jesus, take your word, put it in their hearts, in Jesus' name. I give you the glory and the honor. Hallelujah. You are dismissed. We'll see you tonight. 5.30 prayer, and then uh, 6 o'clock is church. If the Lord doesn't come and rapture us out of here.